feels like um, I haven't been able to preach here in so long, which is, feels very long for me, partly because I've been away and other guys have been preaching. And at the same time, I preached this one preach in our congregation on prayer, and then a whole bunch of people asked me to go and preach it in their congregation. So I feel, feel like I've been saying the same thing for the last six weeks. So to not preach about prayer this morning is amazing, actually. As much as I love prayer and I love preaching that, I'm very stoked to not be sharing about that this morning. Um, and actually, to the point that I've really felt like God changed what I was thinking I was going to talk about this morning. So do forgive me. Me and the AV team are going to work together because I have given her zero scriptures because they all changed in worship. Um, and the emphasis is that I've, I've had something weighing on my heart over the week about what I'd love to preach into and what I'd love to share with us, but I feel like that there is what is important this morning is that you open up your heart to hear from the Lord. And, and that's, why, that's why there has been almost this warning of the prophetic as we've gone into worship. It's like, hey guys, just open your heart to hear what God wants to say to you. Is that cool? I'm going to start a timer. Okay, 12 minutes, eh? Then we're done. Okay, 13. We'll go 13. Um, cool. And so this morning, I want to ask you, as I like to do, I want to ask you a rhetorical question that you don't have to answer and put up your hand, because that would be awkward for all of us. But you can answer the question in your heart, and that is, and I think it would go something along these lines, based on how I've asked many other people, and they've answered according to the similar thing. But if you ask a Christian, what is it in your life that you would like God to do? Or, or what do you want to grow in? And, more, and most of us will give things where we feel like we would, God, want to increase in our life. So, for example, I feel like I need to pray more. Or I feel like I need to go to church more. Or, I feel like I need to be uh, more at come. Or I feel like I need to do more or give more or... And it feels like very often we can slip into, and I want to show us why we think this way, that God wants more from me. That God is always asking more of me, and I'm never giving Him enough. And that's almost a default position that we can land in our relationship with God. And I think what He wants from us is completely opposite. And I think what He wants to do in us is completely opposite. And I think the fruit of when God works in our life is more, and I think that we try to do that in our own, and actually that that's not the way that God wants to do that. Does that make sense? And so one of the things is we live in a growth economy. We live in a world where everything is geared towards growth. The second there is a, a decline in GDP, the second that a company's sales are down, if your business isn't growing, if your finances aren't growing, if your net worth is not growing, if your influence or your job, if we don't experience growth, we experience sadness. We experience panic. We experience fear. We experience, I mean, even Elon Musk has this whole thing out that he believes that when the, world's, when, the economy, when the human growth population stops growing, that'll be the end of the world, and it'll be a pandemic, and it's all going to go to hell. So we are all geared to be like, growth is the thing that we need in every area of our life, and if we don't see it, we are failing. And so it's very, very common for people in society, when you are not living, so for example, 
if you live in an area in your neighborhood where there's not growth or improvement, you almost start to feel depressed and sad about where you live or in the country. You know, in South Africa, it's like everything's not looking on the up and everything's not growing. So we start to feel very negative about the country. We start to feel very negative about our lives and our jobs. And, and we want to go where the growth is because we are wired that that is where we need to be. And everything in our life is about more, more, more. And I want to say to you that that actually is not the way of the kingdom. And actually, sometimes we can act presumptuous to try and achieve more or to do more or to be more. And actually, there is something that God wants to do when there's no growth or pruning or pulling back, which is far more important than growth. Are you with me? Hopefully that was a little bit engaging because it should have stoked your mind in every area because I think every single person here faces this at some point in your life. Growth is the target of what you're aiming for at some point in your life. And so I believe God wants to do a deeper work in us than growth and it's maturity. And they're different. And maturity bears fruit, which can look and feel like growth. But maturity is not expansion or growth at all costs. Okay. And so I want to use just one main story from the Old Testament. And I want to I do a little bit of a comparison and then just show you how I feel that God wants to come and do something in us. Where we would change what we look at. Because very often in your life, the thing that you aim at determines how you live your life. And so I'm hoping to shift your aim this morning, that you wouldn't aim at growth, but that you would aim at Jesus. And that even if that means pruning or withering or a season where it's getting smaller or harder, that you wouldn't be disillusioned, but you would be able to find joy in not having more. Thank you, Austin. <laughs> Austin is engaged. And so I want to start with this story. And so there is this king of Israel, and he is, Israel has cried out for a king. They've been like, we want to be like everybody else. We want growth. We want to grow. We want to be secure. We want to, we want to hold our borders. We want to be like every other nation. We want a king. And God at this point is actually... And remember, God, in, in, the book of the, in the Old Testament, all the books, not the, the book of the Old Testament, in the whole Old Testament, God is taking Israel, and He is setting a pattern for what He wants His church to be like. Israel is a, re, is a representation of God's people. And so there is this whole, if you watch the journey of Israel, you can see yourself in the story. So don't feel like it's a nation over there doing their own thing. Very often, everything that happens in Israel happens in your life. And so, very often in our lives, we want a king. We want to be able to make the decisions and do all the things we want. And God is saying, I want to be your king. I want to be the decision maker in your life. 
I want to be the one that shows you where to go left and right and when to do and not. But we, we're like, no, 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 I want a man in that place. I want a, a, maybe it's a teacher or maybe it's a conviction inside of me. Or I want to be the king of my little world. And so God gives them a king. And by their standards, God gives them an amazing king. Not by God's standards, by their standards. They want a powerful, big, strong, charismatic, handsome, amazing king that people will follow and will inspire them. And that's the type of king that they're looking for. And so by their standards, Saul is the man. A head taller than anybody else. He's got all the qualification. He, he comes in and he wins battles. He's got the track record. He is the guru. He is the guy. And I want to show you how even Saul, God even gave Saul an opportunity to be the king that God wanted him to be. And so what happens is this, and this is where God always tests who is the king in your life is that God puts Israel in a very difficult position. He puts them between a rock and a hard place. He turns up the pressure in the oven. The, the oven. The, the, what's that? The, the instant pot. We have an instant pot. He turns up the pressure. He, he, he makes sure the heat and the fire goes up. You start to feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. There's no, like, there's no give in what's going to happen. You, you feel like I'm about, there's no back door. And so this is what happens with Israel. And we can turn there. Thank you, Zarina. It's 1 Samuel 13, verse 80, 14 in the NLT. And so Israel is being pressed by an enemy, and they're being squashed, and they've got to make a decision. And this is what happens. So Saul waited three days for, Sam, for Samuel. So the king is waiting for the prophet to hear from God. That is the way that Israel went to war. They asked God, are we going to win this? And he would say yes or no or do this or don't do this. And then they would listen to him and do it. But now Saul is under pressure. I need to make some decisions. There's load shedding. The, the, the rand is on the decline. My job is getting difficult. My rent is going up. I'm in the pressure cooker. I need to make some decisions. And so Saul decides to completely do his own thing. So Saul waits for seven days, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. This is like what happens in the Lord of the Rings, except Gandalf doesn't come running down the mountain. It's like, on the third day, look, and imagine if he didn't. That, that movie would have had a very bleak ending. Um, that's what's happening here. Samuel is not coming. And so when Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, when he was losing morale, when he was losing his confidence, his hope, his ability, when his soldiers are slipping away, people don't want to follow him anymore. That meant everything to him. He demanded, bring me the burnt offering. Bring me the peace offering. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering. And I want to say this. Very often when you're in a tight squeeze, how often do we want to at that point jump in and make our own decisions, and make our own way, and actually, the Lord is coming, but he's waiting to see which king you're going to let make the decision. And so do not the reality is, Saul probably missed this, and you're going to see the ramifications of it, by a few hours. 
God was a few hours away from coming to give him the answer. Just as Saul was finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Awkward. And he wasn't there to confirm what he just did. Because that's often what we do. We try and make our own decision, and then we try and justify to God that it was God's decision. Saul went out to meet him, welcome him. <laughs> well done, Samuel. Woo! Great, the prophet arrived. And Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, immediately he knew what was up. I saw my men sketching for me, and you didn't arrive. When you said you would, these are indicators for which king is making the decisions. When we blame what is going on on God, you didn't come through like you said you would. You didn't provide the job. You didn't look after me. You, did, you didn't. And the Philistines, so you didn't answer me. You didn't speak. And things got more difficult. This is, the per this is only a Bible story. I can't relate to our lives, right? And the Philistines are there, ready for battle. So I said, I took charge. I was the king. The Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. Now he even tries to motivate what he's doing by making it spiritual. So I felt compelled. Do you know what that would be in, in modern terms? I just feel like God is saying, I just, God opened a door for me. There was this, the pressure was on and there was this narrow escape route and I just felt compelled. I just felt that, you know, all of a sudden, everybody overseas started taking interest in my CVs and it felt like God wants me out of the country because of load shedding, you know, it's like, it just felt like. Thank goodness nobody's there, right? So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. And the prophet replies. Why? Because he sees the truth immediately. How foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord, listen to this, had you kept it, had you hung in there, had you waited for God to be king, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. The prophet's saying, this way of relating to God and a hardship, making a way for yourself, has to come to an end. For the Lord has sought, after a man, sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And from this we start, you, you, you watch and you read in Saul's life in the Old Testament, you watch the decline of Saul. Eventually he's a demon-possessed king throwing spears at the chosen one. It sounds like a Star Wars movie. Matrix slash stars, chosen one. And there is this rapid decline. 
And I want to tell you that when you get stuck in the pressure cooker and you make a way out for yourself, your intimacy and the way you walk with Jesus suffers this massive decline. When you start to take your life by the, by the horns and I'm going to make all the decisions and I'm going to make a way and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And the Lord is saying, that must come to an end. I want someone who's after my heart. Do you know what God's heart is? Do you know what it is? That even in the worst situation, this could be for my good. That's the heart of God. Do you know that? The heart of God is that you will go through hardship. You will go through suffering. You will face trials of many kinds. You will get pushed. doesn't matter who you are or what your life looks like. You will get placed in the pressure cooker. Every single one of you. But the Bible speaks about that God takes our hardship and our difficulties and he uses it for our good. And so if you, the heart of God is that even when I'm going through the worst stuff in my life, God is actually using this for my benefit. And if I get out of hardship, I'm at risk of not running away just from hardship, but running away from the one who is actually orchestrating this to help me. And so when I take the escape door, actually very often I take the escape door from my relationship with Jesus. promise you this is meant to be an encouraging message. Axel <laughs> looking at me like, Sam, just smile at me every now and then. <laughs> Thank you, Rory. That's... And so, and I'm nearly there already. I want to tell you the other half of the story, and I want to give you two New Testament scriptures to root this in your life. And so this is the opposite. God says, I have already looked, I've already found a man after my own heart. And I really hope that you were able to be at the gathering or even on Sunday last week when we had Brad building into Josh Jen as a church. And the message was, God is after our hearts. That God wants our heart. That he wants us to be those who are after his heart. Like David so God says, I've already found a king, a man after my own heart. And do you know what? Does David do everything drastically different to Saul? No. What do you mean? No, no, no. David is presumptuous. David is a murderer. David is an adulterer. David messes it all up very often. We're going to read about one of those mess-ups. And after one of these big mess-ups, God says to him, now, David, I will establish your house forever. After a mess up. Because of how he went through the trial. Because of how he looked for God's heart in it. And so this is what happens. David, uh, Saul lost the ark in his time. And David decides, let's get the ark back. And the, so they go and the, the Philistines, they send the ark back to Israel. And it's a whole separate story that I'm not going to go into. And when David hears about the ark, and remember, he, he never grew up knowing about the ark. The ark has been gone as long as David's been on the scene. And so the ark comes back, and David is like, oh, my word, his heart is, I want to please God. I want to bring his ark, I want to bring his presence back into the center of our people. 
It's a good thing to do. And so he goes and fetches the ark, and he puts people around it, and the job is you need to bring the ark back. And David knows nothing about how he should do it. Nothing. This is a shepherd boy who kills really big people for a living. This is like his qualification is not diplomacy and people skills. His qualification is I kill big things. Literally. And so he brings the ark back, and as the ark is coming back, because it's not in line with God's way, and because of personal stuff that's happening with Uzzah, and he's got this familiarity with the ark, and there's a whole backstory to that, one guy reaches out and he touches the ark and he falls down dead. And all of a sudden, everybody, who do you think the whole nation looks at? David. You told us to bring this, and now this thing just happened. And so the whole nation turns their focus towards David. What is David going to do now? And so we see that David's response, at first he's angry. (laughs) And God doesn't leave him. That's not the reason God left Saul, because of anger. The reason God didn't leave Saul is not because Saul made a mistake. The reason God didn't leave Saul is David's made a mistake. He's gotten angry. He's gotten somebody killed. It's a pretty big, bad decision, just by the way. He's assumed. If you look at the list, David's done a lot wrong in this situation. It's not like, it's not like he's the textbook king in the way that he works it out. And do you know what? God is not looking for textbook Christians who get everything right all the time. He's not looking for those who never make mistakes. He's not looking for those who have it all perfectly and tied together and have their, their life has this neat little bow in it and they never assume wrong or they never step out of line or they never... That's not what God is looking for. I want to set you free of something this morning. If you are here as a believer, God's expectation is not that you live this perfect little life that's flourishing on every front and then He can use you to make an impact. That is not what he's looking for, a little shepherd boy that cares more about the sheep than himself. He's looking for a little shepherd boy, and I saw it when Brad was preaching. He's looking for a little shepherd boy whose dad didn't even care for him, yet he cared for his dad. His dad left him neglected and alone looking after the sheep, and he decided that Even though, I mean, he had every right to just, you know, let the bear kill the sheep or let the lion kill the sheep. No, no, no. He killed those things for his father's sake. The same father that that didn't give two thoughts to him in the field. God knew that this is how he would love the Lord. And this is the heart that the Lord is looking for us. That despite the circumstance, despite the hardship, despite what we go through, he's looking for those that want to please him. And even when we get it wrong, God, what do I do now? And that's what happens with David. He turns. He goes, what do I do? How do I fix it? And he gets taught. There's a whole way. And so this is the background for this portion. And then, so then he brings the ark in and everybody celebrates and he's making offerings along the way. And he does this incredible thing that we try and do every Sunday. Just joking. 
is that he dances till his clothes come off. Literally. Can you imagine that for a great king experience? How would we feel if that was old Cyril? <laughs> would we be stoked about him? I would, how would you feel about it if that was me, your pastor, on stage, at the gathering, dancing till my clothes come off? <laughs> my wife would be embarrassed. Don't be like this lady. One of Saul's daughters, David's wife, sees him, and she, in her heart, she's like, he's making an idiot of himself. And instantly, she's barren. And after David brings the ark in, after David's made a massive mistake, after David has assumed something, and, and this is quite early on in David's life, the Lord pulls him aside with the prophet, and he speaks to him, and he says this. He says to the prophet in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8, Now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture, and I selected you to be the leader of my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, David. God is saying, I'm going to do this for Israel, but for you, David, I'm going to make a house for you. I'm going to, a dynasty of kings, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, who's he talking about? And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. David is assuming this is Solomon. We know this is not Solomon God is talking about. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod, Solomon, like any father would do. But my favor would not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me all time and your throne will be secure forever. We look at them and we go, oh my goodness. That's the type of thing we want God to say to us. That's the type of thing we're like, God, I need a little bit of my enemies won't oppress me and I'll come into a lavish place and da 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 Because the reality is what we are always looking for most is relief from our hardship. And what the Lord is looking for most is our heart, our affection. In 1 Kings 11, there's this, um, Solomon messes it up, and there's this saying, and he says this, but for the sake of your father David, I will not do this. Do you know that God, there, there is a whole bunch of times in, in the scripture where, where the Lord speaks and he says, but for my servant David, or he's, Jesus even called son of David, the blind beggar, he calls him son of David. Because of what God did in David carried on forever to the point that we're even standing here talking about what God did in David. And it's this. God is not looking for a perfect person. 
God is not looking for a massive 6% year-on-year growth in your life as a believer so that the stats look good, so that you're achieving more, so that now maybe you're a saint, but you must become a leader, and then you must become a more important leader until you get a title, and then you must... God is not looking for growth. He's looking to bring us into maturity. He's looking to produce something inside of us that doesn't disappoint, a hope. And James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, what type of troubles? Financial? Health? Wealth? Business? Relationship? Parent struggles? Mental health, when troubles of any kind, come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How can you say that? (laughs) Because when your faith is tested, your endurance, note this, has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so I'm not, what I'm not telling you is that all these hardships mean nothing. Or all these things that we face. Or all these things that we go through in our lives. I'm not telling you that that doesn't matter. What I am telling you is that in what you're going through, the one thing that you have is you have an opportunity to become completely disillusioned, dismayed, paralyzed, do nothing, panic in fear, run away. Those are all on the table. Those are, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm saying that those are the default of what we want to go towards. And God's saying there is also an opportunity for something else. There is an opportunity that this Conflict can produce a perseverance inside of you that pushes through even when you don't feel like it. That's perseverance. It's the tenacity for me to persevere, to remain under the weight. That's perseverance. And when there's perseverance, when you start to develop perseverance, it will produce other things inside of you. And so it's the same as I like to rabbit hole. My wife is, we laugh about this because maybe it's for conversation starters, but I can completely go down a rabbit hole for hours and I will give you such incredible statistics and information like the fact that why space travel is so bad for the human body. I went down such a rabbit hole on this. And how if you're in space basically up to a year, when you get back to earth, you're useless. Do you know that? Not just because of your muscles, but because of your bones themselves lose the ability to carry weight. And so you would come back to earth and walk out the planet and go... Do you know what? It's the same for Christians. We want to live in space where there's no resistance. And there's no pain and there's no hardship. And it's just, I'm floating around. And it's amazing. And I'm eating out of a tube. And like... (laughs) This is the type of Christian life we want where it's all easy and everybody's welcome and nobody's judged and it's so lacquer, like, woo! We can see a little earth and... 
But actually, it's difficulties which produce perseverance, which can actually produce strength and the ability to get through hard things. Because until, until this race is over for you on this planet, and I'm not saying this to discourage you, this is an encouragement if you've heard this message properly. Until the day that this race comes to an end, it will be hard. This life you live here will never be easy. At that point, everyone's like, I'm out. <laughs> Cheers. At least I know that I'm right in this. You will face trials. Do you know what? The more you persevere, the more you overcome, the less the trials seem. Then what was a mountain becomes a molehill. So this is the shift that I wanted to bring. I'm landing. Michael, Delia, you guys can join me on the stage. This is the shift that I want to bring us, and I want to re-emphasize this first point. The whole thing of what I've shared this morning is what we're looking at. The whole point is that this morning, even the words that have come is that there's even some of us who've walked with Jesus for so long, and because of things, we've allowed the field to dry up and become rock hard. Because we've gone through stuff, or because there's stones in the field, or because we haven't been able to produce or grow or and so we just slip into like a nominal Christian life and this morning God wants so much more for every single one of us and I am pleading with you don't be like Saul don't beg God for the quick way out and then justify it don't don't look to get out at all costs when you look at the world around you, when you open your phone, because most of us do this before our quiet time, it's like, Lord, I want to hear from you today. So let's just read News 24 quick. Stage eight. Corruption. The Rand. Russiagate. Lady Russiagate. Arms to the, it's the, it's the end of the world. Before you go there, there is, there is, a truth to the news, even fake news. Even fake news is right. I'll give you a headline so you don't have to read News 24 this morning. The world out there sucks, and everybody dies. So you can skip that part of your morning routine. Because my emphasis this morning is there is a hope. There is something that gives you hope in the hardship. There is someone that wants to be the king of our lives. And he is such a good God that instead of taking all your hardship away, which would kill you, he will do something so much more important. He will enable you to live through it. And so this morning... The reason why the Holy Spirit has constantly said, soften your heart, soften your heart, soften your heart, because this is hard for you to hear. But God this morning is saying, I want to come and restore hope to you. I want you to be a man, after my, a man and a woman after my heart. And God's heart is this, that I love you, my child, and I don't need you to, to be doing all this stuff. I love you. I'm the one who made a way for you. I'm the one who cares about you. 
And so when you get stuck in that pressure cooker, instead of reaching for the blow of valve, ask him, wait on him. Saul missed it by hours. There's so many other scriptures that I didn't add because I was getting a whole lot during worship, so I'm sorry. I wish I could have done this more eloquently this morning. Because I, I want to appeal to you this morning. And so the first thing is this, is that this is a response that we get to have. And this was David's heart. When David realized he had made a mistake, he turned in repentance. And what he does is even that instance with the ark, he decides that, and, and this isn't what God asked him to do. He decides that he's going to walk a certain distance and sacrifice. And walk a certain distance and sacrifice. And walk a certain, and he was going to lavishly repent and bring it before God. And then at the end, when it's coming into Jerusalem, he literally celebrates so much that, it's, that he doesn't care about his reputation because he realizes God, is, God has accepted me. God has accepted my offering. The ark has come back to his people. And so this morning, one of the attributes of our gods, in the same way that I promise you that this life is going to be difficult, I promise you that the Bible teaches us as a fundamental truth that when you repent, He forgives. That when you turn from a certain way of living, that immediately God is with you. He comes alongside you. And so I felt like this morning, a lot of us needed to make a mind shift of like, God, I'm just heading on this way and I... Like, I don't want to look for the escape valve. I don't want the circumstance to be the thing. I want to find you in the middle of this. And as you find the Lord, He wants to bring you into maturity. It's a whole separate thing. He wants to bring you into maturity. Maturity is when you, the older you get, you, you, watch, you, you find this in older people with wisdom on their head, silver hair. <laughs> Ask them about hardship. I guarantee you're not going to find one that will give you a story that was just amazing from beginning to end. I wonder if I can pray for us. Maybe if any part of this message has kind of just um, resonated with you. Maybe you feel like, God, I, I want to respond. I don't want to be like that. I, I want to give you my heart. I don't want to look for the back door. I don't want to escape. I wonder if you can just stand with me. I want to pray for us that God is going to give us like a faith that we can, as we live this out, that it's not just... Um, I'm going to do this or that, but God, I want to walk differently. Like I want to, I want your heart. Maybe you're really scared around circumstances or around your life or around your work situation or I'd love to pray with you because I know that when we pray and we ask him, he hears our prayers and he answers them. Sam was just saying to me, uh, one of the things I prepared in the original preach that I didn't preach this morning is that, um, you know, when young trees produce fruit, it's always very sour and bitter. But when a mature fruit tree yields fruit, the fruit is amazing. And um, Sam was just feeling like the Lord wants to, he wants you this morning, this is what he wants to say, take the pressure off of yourself. It's not your responsibility to make the fruit. It's your responsibility to stick it out. It's your responsibility to keep your eyes on Jesus, to not look for the escape. And so, Father, I want to pray for us as we respond. As those who respond, I know that you meet our, our faith, which is our belief that you can do something. 
And so as we've stood this morning, I say, God, would you see our faith and would you meet it with a response this morning, a response of your spirit, a response of your presence, a response of truth in our life. I pray that, God, we would see truth this morning where we feel like there's no way forward and that's the end of the world and that it's, a, it's an all big mess. Would you show us the truth? The truth is that, yes, there's hardship, but you have overcome God, I ask for hope this morning. Hope for the hopeless. There were two very specific words that came this morning, and they were, the one was for, for those who have, like, you've served Jesus, but you're not serving Him at the moment. And the other is, I want to do it every time I get to talk about the Lord in any type of way, and that's who those who don't know Him. And so while the rest of us are responding, our eyes, you can bow your heads. If you're standing, you're dealing with God already. If there's anyone who would like to respond to this, maybe, maybe you feel like the pressure is so much you can't take it anymore and you, you need a Savior. A, maybe you've served Jesus before and you've never, you, you don't serve Him anymore. You're not a, you, you were a Christian. You don't even consider yourself a Christian anymore. I'd love to pray with you if that's you this morning. Or if you've never given your life to him before. If you've never said, God, I want you to be my savior. And so if there's anyone like that, I wonder if you could just raise your hand. You don't have to come to the front. I want to pray with you where you are. If you could just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you this morning. I'd love God to come and restore that. Father, I ask this morning. As we respond to you. As we say, God, I want you. As for those of us standing now, saying, God, we need you. We want to be those who search after your heart. God, would you come and would you meet with us? I pray that we would turn towards you. So we're just going to take a few seconds. I want you to, you, as you stand, you do business with God. We're going to, the, the worship team are going to play this. Respond in your heart to him. I feel like there's even more that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so if you have a word, if you feel like somebody wants to, uh, God wants to highlight someone in specific. And so it's a basic thing, but normally the gesture of a child that wants their parent to intervene in their situation looks like this. Help. <laughs> and so as we're standing this morning, I wonder if you could lift your hands. Our, our heart posture and our physical postures, God, we want you. I'm at, I'm at the end of me. I need you. Would you come right now, Father? Would you pour out your spirit? So let's respond to
I think this morning that there are some things that maybe we might be hiding. And I just felt this psalm to read over us. That we actually need to maybe bring our hearts before the Lord this morning and to repent of some of the things that actually might be hidden. And it says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey Him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. And so this morning, if you're feeling that sense of like, Lord, I, I've been hiding it. I've been hiding my sin. I've been, I, I haven't wanted to bring it out. And you feel like you're wasting away. It's like there's an opportunity here for our hearts to be soft and to confess our sins. Because He is faithful and just to forgive us.